The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Ben Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. I don't know how this hasn't happened yet. My life coach, Doug Collins. How are you? I miss you. I miss you too. I miss our time together. We and, still get uh, to text everyone. Yeah, in a while. we do. We're running into we each do, other. We do, but it's I just are. You know, I, I think the one thing you and I have so much in common is how much we love basketball, especially yeah. the NBA. And I always love it when you're around those kind of people. There's so much passion, and everybody's got such strong feelings. And I miss those moments. You know, our show was fun, but being back in that room for two, three hours on a night, talking hoops, telling stories, I, I miss mi- that. I miss uh, watching the games with you in person those last two rounds when – when it would get really good, yeah. you just start hitting me. You get I, excited, I you just start punching people. I can't people. help it. I, I get, I get to. I had get like active. my left hip was sore I after know. one game because you punched me like forty times. Yeah, I know that was uh, one of those I think that night that Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard went crazy that night. So, <laughs> and Patty Mills started making that oh game my was gosh. unbelievable. It was, it was unbelievable. That uh, I really like what happened to Spurs, but the, uh, watching them this year, yeah, I'm a little worried because Parker worried doesn't too. look the same. Kawhi's been hurt all year. It might, it might be over. We've learned not to bet against the infrastructure, but I'm a little worried. I, I'm worried. Um, you know, normally the rodeo trip is when yeah. they get it rolling. Uh, they've had some uncharacteristic losses. Normally when you go into Utah, you know, in a must-win game, San Antonio finds a way to win those kind of games. Mm. I mean, really, Bill, if you look at it, their most uh, consistent player all year long has been Tim Duncan. Which Isn't has been amazing. amazing. I mean, I mean, if you really if you walk watch him walk, his one leg doesn't straighten out. I mean, he plays with a leg that he's got like a walk. Thing, he does. Right? I mean, it's like yeah. it's like Tim Hardaway late in his career when you yeah. watch Tim Hardaway walk. But um, if if Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard don't play at another level, uh, I, I'm worried about them as well. You know, you talk about like Duncan's 17 years, I think maybe 18. I think this is year 18 for him. How many years? How many years you play? Seven, eight, eight, and I yeah, and I was banged up. You know, it's. Uh, I, I would like to think. You know, I watched a feature the other day on Kyle Korver. I don't know if you saw that. Which what? Which channel? The one how his preparation. He was preparation. Oh, yeah, he's a maniac. Yeah, and, he's like Ray Allen. And I looked at him. and Said, you know, I was so envious, Bill, because I had that kind of drive. And I would have loved to have trained like that. But back then, we didn't have any of that. I mean, after the season was over, you know what you'd do? You'd put your sneakers on. You'd go out and run. Or you'd go play some pickup hoops. You know, Nautilus was just coming into vogue back then. You didn't have strength and conditioning. You had no nutritionist. We didn't have a place to work out. We practiced. You know, we used to rent a place to work out. So It was like some rinky high school gym. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is I feel like that I could have really stayed away from a lot of the injuries if – my body, if they could have found out what was going on with my hips and everything, which was causing all my leg problems. The sneakers probably weren't as yeah, good back you know, then. I mean, so, you know, You're riding coach. All those kind of things. You tell, know? Them, tell the audience about what it was like to travel as an NBA player in the 70s. Well, <laughs> it was very hard, especially for somebody like me who doesn't sleep after a game. You yeah. know? So, uh, I mean, you know, we would, let's say you had a back-to-back game. Let's say we played the Celtics yeah. in, in, in Boston on a Friday night. And on Saturday night, we had a game in Philly. Well, we would, you know, we would fly commercially into to Boston the night before. So uh, you have these thirteen giant guys just walking through an airport trying to find their gate. Yeah, and 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 there might not be enough first class seats to everybody sitting up there. So it went on priority who had been in the league the longest. So that's oh yeah. So that's you know whoever got first class was whoever been in the league the longest. So, I bet Andrew Wiggins and people like that. Oh yeah, I mean they wouldn't you, like that. Yeah, right, right, you're back there, coach, buddy. <laughs> but. Um, so, you know, you would play the game afterwards. Yeah. You know, most of the hotels we stayed in, you couldn't get room service after. So you tried to find some place where you could get a bite of food after the game. So you'd be at some diner. Some, some diner, whatever, salon. you know, greasy yeah. spoon place. Yeah. Then, you know, you go back to the hotel. And back then you had roommates. You know, you didn't you didn't have your own rooms. So you had you, a roommate in the middle? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you told me that. Oh, Who was yeah. your roommate? Well, I had Steve Mix for a while. Tried Bobby Jones for a while. But, you know, Bobby, uh, it was hard with him because he um, – he had epilepsy, you know, and so he would take this medicine and he would go out. Oh, he'd like snoring. Oh, he was out. And I was like pacing like a cat. And I'm going like, Bobby, this just isn't working, man. I love you. This isn't working. So, but yeah, we had roommates. And, and what we do was. Wait, the, wait, go back to the roommates. So yeah. you had Steve Mix, then Bobby Jones. Well, I mean, Bobby later. I mean, I'm trying. Alan Bristow, when we were rookies, uh, Clyde Lee. 
You know, I roomed with Clyde. When Clyde came over for a while. Wouldn't the worst roommate have been George McGinnis because of the chain smoking? <laughs> I think Ch- uh, George probably at that time had in his contract, he got his own room by himself. So, uh, <laughs> so he could smoke as many Yeah, things. there we go. You had George smoking at halftime. I yeah. had Dawkins on the BS yeah. part a couple weeks ago. He was talking about that. Yeah, that was, that was a halftime funny. Halftime cigs. Yeah, that was sort of a funny story one night. Gene Shu, who I love. Gene was my first NBA coach. Man, the guy was awesome. Yeah. Told me what it was to be an NBA player. You know, he was one of the first guards to average like 20 points a game right. in the NBA. I don't think people realize how good he was. Yeah. And so I remember we came in to the locker room one night. Uh, it was halftime or whatever. And and he was upset or whatever. He started talking and George sort of lit up and Freddie Carter was lit up a little bit. And he goes, no, no smoking here at halftime or whatever. And they go, Gene, we have to. He said, OK, go ahead and smoke that. Okay? <laughs> so it was uh, that was sort of the way it was. But can you uh, believe that? I mean, you know, and I remember after the game, so God rest his soul, Caldwell Jones just passed away. Yeah. But Caldwell uh, used to get these two big ice bags and sit in front of his locker and have this little uh, ice bucket of like baby buds. He'd have like 12 baby buds or whatever. He'd have mice down. And yeah. my son, Chris, at that time was a little young guy or whatever. And he'd go over sit by Caldwell and Caldwell would be, you know, throwing down his... You know, it's ice cold beers after the game and stuff. But but as far as travel to get back to it, Bill, we, we would have to take the first flight out the next day to get back in case something happened to that flight. So, you know, we'd get a 5 a.m. wake-up call, 5.30 bus, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock flight. You'd connect a lot of times, Well, right? a lot of times you had yeah. to, yeah. You know I mean, you know, a lot of times you couldn't get the direct flights. And so what you ended up doing, Bill, you learned to, you learned to like, eat whenever you could, sleep whenever you could. I mean, you'd grab 20 minutes on the on a, on a plane or an hour. Yeah. You'd run home and try to get a two-hour nap before the game. It was different. I mean, it was really different. And I think it led to a lot of injuries, wear and tear, fatigue, because your body just never got a chance to ever recover after after playing. I mean, what was your first major injury? I forget. Well, my, my first year, I, I broke my foot. Yeah. And it's what Kevin Durant had. Well, and, and you told me I, and, we we had a lot of texts about that about they they and, they kind of he was back a little sooner well, than maybe he should have. Well, I went through it with me and also my son Chris. My my son Chris had it down uh, his first practice, his junior year at Duke, he broke his fifth metatarsal. Well, you know, with me back then, they didn't put a screw in. They put you in a cast, and so I was in a cast for six weeks. Came out, and the doctor said, "Look, it's not healed, uh, but if you want to try to play, you can go ahead and play. Chances are." You're going to have to have this fixed anyway. So, so that was during the era where you were kind of a wuss if you didn't play. Well, right? you know, I mean, it's just like I wanted to play. I was yeah. the first pick. You know, I yeah. mean, I went to Philadelphia, nine and seventy-three team. You know, and all I'd ever heard about is all the busts that had come through. That I was saying, like, I, I'm not a bus. I can play. And so I played about 25 games on one foot. I rebroke it, had to have surgery, and then I came back. You know, the next year and and had. Four or five really good years where I made the all-star team and our team started to take off. You know, Chris came back a little too soon. He bent his screw, had to have it replaced, and had to have it done over again. So I said something, you know, one day, Bill, I said, you know, just because you're a great player doesn't mean you heal faster. Right. I mean, your body takes a certain time to heal. Now, a great player can still play maybe at a better level than other guys can, not being 100%. But it was my biggest concern with, with Kevin when he came back. And now I see he's had problems with that screw, and and now I hopefully that that's going to be something that's minor than getting back for the playoffs. But we were talking about it when it happened. Yeah, NBA players and feet. Yeah, it's it it ends badly more often than it doesn't, and especially if you like you if you come back too soon. Yeah, you get the recurring thing, or you and get then the, it's just you get the cycle. overcompensation. Yeah, now all of a sudden your back starts spasming, or. You get turf toe on the other foot or yep. whatever it might be. And it, it just all these things because subconsciously your body knows you're not right and it's trying to protect itself. Yeah. You think there's nothing going on, but but it is. You're not landing the same way. Your running is a little different. Your stride is a little bit different. So let's hope he can get back. It, it'd, be, it'd be a shame if, if uh, he wouldn't be healthy for the playoffs this year. So you're talking about little subtle stuff like – the, the inside of his foot hurts. He's jumping up for rebound when he lands. Yeah. He's just mentally turning his foot. Subconsciously, so you land on the, on the outside, outside. or you land that hurts your knee, which hurts your back. Like or you land more on the other leg. You you come down and you put more weight on the other leg than you do that leg. Just you're subconsciously protected. You see it when guys come back, especially big guys when they've had leg injuries. Yeah, like the, you yeah, watch the types. them when they're in a crowd, how they keep their hands down and they try to keep people away from their legs. Yeah, it's just a it's a way to protect yourself 
I had Penny Hardaway on the on the BS Report during All Star Weekend. We were talking about Derrick Rose. This is before he got hurt yeah. this last time, and he basically went through all the same stuff Rose did twenty years ago. Yeah. And he was just talking about how he watched Rose, and he was like, "That guy doesn't trust his legs. That guy's not the same. He's not pushing off his body. Like I see when I watch him, I see all the things I went through." And then Rose gets hurt again, and it's a little bit like what we're talking about now, where it's like the one injury yeah. leads it get, gets yes. up here in your head, you start moving, this, and then yes. all of a sudden this hurts, and and now I'm I really don't think he's going to bounce back. Well, you know, the thing MVP, about it right? is he he is such an explosive, powerful athlete. Yeah. When he first hurt his leg was against us. Yep. In in the playoffs, well, yeah, uh, you know, when we played when I was in Philly in garbage time, basically, and it's like minutes ago or whatever, yeah. and he went up, and I saw it. I, I saw what happened because people don't realize a cruciate ligament injury tear normally is a non-contact injury. Yep. It's when you know the, the you've got the femur, which is the big bone. You got the tibia, and the femur goes over the tibia, and it tears it. It just shreds it. Yeah. And I saw him come down, and my heart sunk because I knew what he had done, and I knew what was ahead of him. Now you know today the surgeries and and the, the medical and all you have is so much more advanced. Yeah. Uh, but I knew because of the way he played. And it's hard, you know, for him to reinvent himself because he's Derrick Rose for a reason, because he plays that way. And you're not going to reinvent Russell Westbrook. I was thinking about that last night. Some of those drives Westbrook had. Are you kidding me? Four people. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. for them to be great, that's the way they have to play. I mean, Derrick Rose is never going to be a guy, throw the ball in the post, spot up and shoot threes. That's not who, who he is. He's a pick and roll player, get to the rim, little floaters, stop on a dime, explode. Yeah. And, and um, let, let's hope this surgery, uh, you know, maybe they just go in and trim it a little bit. And, and um, I'd like to see him back for the playoffs as well. When you, your body, I mean, you were done basically from the NBA. You were, what, 31? It was, it was heartbreaking. So at, at what point mentally did you start thinking like, oh, my God, this is actually not coming back? Well, mine was sort of a lot of different things. First, what I didn't realize was uh, I had double hip replacement surgery when I was 50, so like 13 years ago. Yeah. And I went in to get my hips x-rayed, and the doctor told me, he said, uh, I need to ask you a question. He said, did you have a huge growth spurt as a kid? And I said, yes, I did. Right. And he said, well, your your hips, a lot of times we see that your hips are the kind we see in kids who are either obese or people who've had huge growth spurts. Your hips don't uh, grow properly, and it's almost like a dysplasia. Yeah. So what ends up happening, you get tight in the hips, and it changes the whole mechanics of your lower body. And so I started out with the fifth metatarsal, and then... Uh, it was against the Celtics. My father had just passed away in uh, 1979. Yeah. And uh, we were playing the Celtics on a Sunday afternoon. We played them, and I woke up the next day, and I'd just come back from my father's funeral, and I could hardly walk. And both feet. And I, I go, you know, what is going on here? And I just, you know, made all-star teams, like four all-star teams. I, was a, I really was playing at the, at the height of my career, Bill. And... Back then, they didn't have really good x-rays and stuff. So they x-rayed it. They couldn't find it. They said, we just have tendonitis. So um, That I, sounds like a misdiagnosis. You, you know, so I said, well, whatever. So, I mean, I, I mean, I will tell you that it hurt so badly at night. I had one of those hospital bedpans. I would, I would go to the bathroom. So I wouldn't have to get up and walk to the bathroom. Wow. My feet hurt so bad. So finally, after about two weeks, they sent me to uh, the hospital special surgery in New York City, they took what they call tomograms, which are different X-rays. And I had stress fractures in both my tarsal navicators. And and so, I mean, I was out. Yeah. Then I tried to come back the next year and played for a while. Then I hurt my knee because my feet weren't right. Um, and that's why I always tell guys, you know, if you look at the guys who've had foot problems, the Yao Mings, the Bill Waltons, the Zadrunas Elgowskis, the Greg Odens, the Rick Smith. A lot of these guys are tall guys who I, I'm sure had huge growth spurts, and I think it affected uh, how they how they ran and, and the way they, uh, you know, knees and, and, and feet, how, how, how it was responded to. 
And for the kids out there, Doug Collins was a really good basketball player <laughs> once upon a time. You're Thank one of the you. best two Thank guards you. in the league. Thank you, Bill. I, you, which season are you still bitter about that you were hurt that they would have won the title? If you missed, you missed a well, series I mean, and you I were banged up. Well, I mean, I was You know, I thought we would beat the Celtics in 81. You know, you beat well, us. First of all, how dare you? Well, I, I know this. I'm, I'm, untre- I'm, I'm treading on thin ice here. <laughs> I thought we would have had a great chance to win an 80 when Magic won. That was the year. A 79. Did you, you didn't play in the 80 finals. Mm-mm. No, you know, so I mean, you I thought, I thought we had had a great chance. That was yet we another should, le- lucky Lakers. Break. We should have won in '78. We should have won in '78. You know, we were the better team. But Doc was the, what, Doc's knees were kind of messed nah, up. There, he, right? no, no, I tell you, no, we played Washington, and Bobby Dandridge and Elvin Hayes had incredible right. series. And then we got it to Game Six, uh, and we were up one, and Wes Unseld tipped one in to beat us by one. They beat us four two, and then they went on. To, to win the championship against uh, Seattle. We should also mention that you have an encyclopedic memory for <laughs> I'm like you. You're better than I am. I when I when I was bored in the conference room when we were working <laughs> countdown, I would just call up YouTube clips and see if you could remember the play. Well, like, oh yeah, I remember that third quarter, Kansas City, 1979. <laughs> well, you know, Bill, the I one got thing Bill Robinson. Yeah, I said, you know, Google and Wikipedia threw out all fraudulent stuff because now when you throw something out, you get on your little thing and say, I'm going to pull this up to see if this guy's really telling the truth or not. When I told you that Ben Polkett story about oh, Larry Bird, I put and, that in my column, and you pulled it up or whatever. Yeah. I said, Bill, no fraudulent stuff here, buddy. Wait, you got to tell that story, even though I already told it. It's a well, good I, I mean, it was. I mean, Bird was a classic. You know, it's uh, Bird was your favorite that you never played or coached. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and coming from Indiana State, you know that I played. I actually played against Bird a little bit when he came in in '81. I played. Right. I played a little bit against him, but. Um, we were playing in Chicago Stadium, still the best place to play basketball. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and I you know you like the Boston Garden. They knocked it down. But that Chicago Stadium, when it got rocking. Yeah. So we were playing uh, the Celtics, Bird, McHale, Parrish, uh, DJ, Ainge. I mean, they were loaded. The Apex. And and we were, we were just starting to get started with yeah. uh, Chicago. And so Bird was upset that he didn't get his tickets right. And so he that, kept, that the team screwed, team up, his screwed up his tickets. Right. So he walked by me and he looked at me and he said, "What's the scoring record for an opposing player here in Chicago Stadium?" <laughs> I said, "I have no idea. Are you, do you have something in mind today that you want to you, you, you want to tell me now?" He said, "They screwed up my tickets." He said, "I think I'm going to go for it today." I said, "You can have mine, Larry. <laughs> you can have mine." Well, I had been Poquette Gardner, you know. So right. I mean, Larry looked at him like, "Really? Yeah. Like, r- r- don't do this, really." So let me start out the game. I think you pulled it up on Wikipedia. It was like five first, first like, five, boom, boom, yeah. boom, or whatever. Had like thirty something at half. Yeah. Came walking by me to start the second half. He goes, "I like you. I'm not. I'm not going to do that today, or whatever." So I mean, it was just. You know, and Bird was amazing. I, I we I'd be standing in front of the bench. I remember, Brad Sellers was guarding him one day, and and you know how Bird would come down the floor, and he'd be looking at everything or whatever. And I'm going, Brad, get up, get up. Yeah. And Bird pulled from about six feet from behind the three point line, and just knocked it in. He said, "Coach, too late. You better get him up here faster than that or whatever." I mean, he was he was he was incredible. So, and you also coached Jordan, and those yeah. two guys were wired the same way. Yes. They're on the court. And they're almost like bored because they're so good, and they're figuring out these little weird ways to keep themselves yes. interested. Is there anybody like that now? I think Kobe was like that. I think Kobe, you know, you know what I what I saw, Bill, is I saw nights when Michael maybe not normally had that juice that he normally feels. He would always look for something to get upset about. Right. It, maybe it was some innocuous thing that I said. Maybe it was a fan. Maybe it was, you know, his meal was messed up, something. Or somebody made a three early in the game and looked at him. Looked at him like, are you guarding me or something like that? And, I mean, he would then, I mean, he was like incredible. I mean, incredible. I mean, we were playing Utah uh, in Salt Lake, and we got, he got switched off. Um, uh, John Stockton had him down in the post. Well, you know, we we threw the ball down there, and Michael spun and, and scored or whatever. And these fans behind her, hey, Michael, pick on somebody your own size, man. Pick on somebody your own size. Bill, it couldn't have been a minute later. I swear, it couldn't have been a minute later. Michael gets a steal in the open court, and Mel Turpin 
is back. Seven-footer. Seven-footer, 300-something pounds or whatever. So Michael, you always knew when Michael was going to do something special. As he was going towards the rim like this, if he turned his shoulders like this, look out. Right. So, I mean, I mean, he took off maybe before the dotted line, after the free throw line, and, 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 between, and, and he just turned and just tomahawked. He started running down the floor, and he looked over and he says, is he big enough? You know, I mean, little stuff like that. I mean, just uh, he, he, was, he was one of a kind. Do you – I mean, I, I think Jordan was just at another level yes. than Kobe. I think Kobe was the second best shooting guard ever. Like that's a great legacy. But Jordan, I, th- I just think as the years pass, it's going to take people like you to kind of keep that Jordan legacy going because I, I just think he was up here and everybody else was here. Well, I, I think that the one thing about it is you saw how all the players responded to Michael when, like Michael, I mean, they just knew like this guy was the king. I mean, yeah. this guy, this guy was the best. Right. And he was the best for a long, long time. And you can only imagine, had he not taken that little sabbatical from basketball, he might have won eight championships easily. Do you think he needed that, though? I do. I do. I do. You know what? On a smaller scale, it's what LeBron did for two weeks this year. Yeah. You know, I, I said, you know, LeBron might be banged up a little bit. But to me, he was emotionally spent four years in in, in, in Miami. Uh, all the games, the wear and tear, carrying that team, D-Wade being out, coming back to Cleveland, saving the state, you know, bringing all the stuff that he— Documentary projects. Everything, yeah. everything. And I thought he was emotionally spent. And I said it, we were watching the game, his first game back against Phoenix. They lost the game, but his first basket, he drove baseline and turned and threw in a dunk or whatever. I looked at Jalen, and I said, he's back. He, he's refreshed. And well, since no, that point in time, I think they're 18 and 2. The first two months, I, I just thought he had passed the apex. And it was like he's playing below the rim. He looked a little slow. He just didn't look like himself. And it's like, it happens. Like, yeah. he's been in the league for 12 years. Yeah. You're never going to be great for 15 straight years. I've, I've been really impressed by them. And I never liked Kyrie Irving. Kyrie, but, my son recruited him. Whoo. I tell you who he's a combination of. He's a combination of Isaiah Thomas and Chris Paul. I thought you were going to throw in Kevin Johnson, too. Well, Kevin a little, was... A eh, little Kevin Johnson. But, I mean, the, I mean, he's a wizard with the ball. I call him Layup King. That's my, I, that's my nickname for him now, Layup King. I mean, is there a better guy in the NBA making below-the-rim layups than Kyrie Irving? Well, you think about it. What do you want from your point guards? And this is why I'm worried about Rondo, who you know I have a lot of yes. affection for. Yes. Can you get to the rim? Can you shoot threes? That's really where basketball is yes. gone. And yes. if you're a point guard and you can't do either of those things... Like and that's Rondo right now. He can't shoot threes. He doesn't want to get fouled. Well, so we, when we played him in the playoffs the one year, he I was mean, making threes. But he did in Game Seven. Remember the end of that Game Seven? Yeah, you, you you would only talk about it seven, eight, nine times. You know, a month. I mean, but I mean, we're right there, one point down. Paul Pierce gets an offensive foul, charges out of the game. Believe we, me, I didn't think they were going in. We, we've got the ball, and, and those are the shots we wanted him to make. He had two long threes, and he hit one with his foot on the line or whatever, and they ended up beating us. But I'd say Rondo is, is spectacular, but he he's a guy that needs to needs have it. the ball. And, you know, I, I'm not so sure within that flow offense where the ball is moving and everything, because to do that, you have to be able to spot up off the ball. And, and be able to make – because teams are going to just sag back in and they're going to make you come to them with the ball. And secondly, you know, I'm, sh- I'm shocked at how poorly he's shooting free throws. It's in his head. I saw yeah, it happen totally. with Anton Walker. Yeah. It's like when they – when you start missing free throws like that, it's it's almost like what we were talking about earlier with your feet. TV. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden now you're driving and you see a guy yes. come in and you're trying to yeah. dish it quick and Well, remember all that Steve stuff. Sachs, the second baseman for the oh, – yeah. I mean, he couldn't throw to first base. So – the the thing that happened with Rondo and Carlisle this week, I always feel like the media overrates when a coach and a player gets mad because it's sports and yes. people yell at each other. But, but, but yet he did get suspended. So was it a big deal or was it? I, I think it might have been after the fact. The locker room argument he, seems like something happened. It must have been something because I, I don't think that what happened there. But you know, I'm not privy to what was exactly said. But it's what happens, Bill. We're, we're in an era now where everything is so documented and mm. we just run it over and over. You know, I remember when 9-11 occurred. Yeah. And uh, remember how many times we saw the planes going into the to the towers? Yeah. A guy came on, a, a psychologist or whatever, came on and he said, 
young kids are having a tough time handling this because they think it's continuing to happen over and over. Right. You know, because they keep seeing it. Well, it happened again. Yeah. It happened again. And, I mean, the beauty of what we have now is we can see everything. I mean, you, you can pull up your computer. You can know every game. You can watch all the video. You can watch every dunk. But on the same side of that, the things that happen in sports, it's going to happen with coaches and players. I mean, especially when you have two people who are passionate. Headstrong. Headstrong. I mean, both of them are champions. They didn't get their I mean, Rick Carlisle didn't get to be a championship coach by not being a, a guy who doesn't believe in himself. And Rondo, uh, look what he's done in his career. So they'll work it out. I, I'm not worried about the dynamics of their relationship as I am of the, the dynamics of how their team the system. Does. Yeah. Well, without, without doing coach criticism, because you know Dabo in that, because you're in the fraternity. You know you what? Have, but you have Rondo. And as you said, that offense is like hot potato. You yeah. move it around, a lot of movement. Rondo needs the ball. Yeah. At what point do you think as a coach, like, crap, my best chance to win is probably to get Rondo more involved. Do I <clears throat> do I change my system on the fly or is it too late to do yeah, that? Yeah, but the, the question would be, would that would that benefit Rondo at the expense of everybody else? Right. And what does that do to Dirk Nowitzki? You know, what does that do to Tyson Chandler? What does that do to Monte Ellis? Would it make what does Monte that do? happy? Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you, you know, in the scheme of things, maybe if you did certain things, would it help Rondo? But but would it help your team in the long run? That That's what you have to look at. And, and, and again, like, you know, I being a former coach or whatever, I mean, we get used to the criticism and stuff. It's just that I – and I have no problem criticizing a coach or whatever if I think he's wrong. Right. But I, I think Rick Carlisle has shown that what he's doing is is. is I would is trust run- Carlisle over Rondo at this point, well, just because I, I think Carlisle is more of an asset, and I'm not sure Rondo's a superstar. Well, I have anymore. a question, Bill. Now, now you get into the dynamics of okay, are we going to now try to make sure that we don't lose him in free agency because we gave so much up for him? What do you have to do to try to keep him? So now you, you get assume in, he's leaving, but you know you, you get into all those other different things now. It's such a fluent league now. I think it goes the other way. I think I think Rondo loses playing time as it gets closer to the playoffs, and I think they just try to figure. Carlisle doesn't care. He's not going to be like, "Oh, I, I can't sacrifice this year because I want to keep Rondo happy." Right. He's just going to be like, "Whatever, I'm playing my best five. Well, you know what? I, I I love a lot of things about Mark Cuban. I think he's terrific. Yeah, and I think the one thing that you've seen, he always protects his franchise. He always protects his coach. Yeah. And we're a generation that that doesn't happen that often, you know. It's because, and let's be fair, Bill. I mean, you throw out three or four coaches in the league who have championship rings, and most everybody is, it's well, somebody else can do it. Well, that was one of the things we used to talk about all the time because you always thought I was too hard on coaches, like not the not the best ones, but the next level. I and just you felt I like didn't respect no, how hard that job is enough. No, I my thing with you was is. Bill, don't be knee-jerk like that guy needs to be fired. Right. You know, because that's that's harsh. You know, when you say somebody needs to, to be fired. Yeah, I guess I did probably broach there a couple of times. Whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, but I'm just saying that that's harsh. I remember the one day we were talking, I said, Billy, I said, you made some bad decisions writing before or whatever and things like that that you yeah. wish you could take back. And you go, yeah, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's just um, – when, when you, I, I've always felt like you have to be very careful when you start dealing with another man's livelihood. If you say that that situation, I mean, there's a lot of coaches who are struggling right now. Their teams are struggling. We could name. A I few mean, we of could them. go through four or yeah. five right there's now. You know, six or whatever, and you know, all eyes are going to be on those teams over the last 25 games to see. Some of them have great playoff aspirations. Some of them don't. You know, we'll. S- well, but would you agree though that at some, there are times with. And you can see with the team, and there's one right now that I won't name because it'll make you uncomfortable. But there's one team out there that I'm watching now, and I'm thinking like, that team's kind of checked out. But here's the it thing seems about like it they're, is, it seems like they're just zombies. Here's the thing about it is, do you check out on yourself, or do you check out on the coach? Do you check out on the fans? Do you check? But out what happens on- if you have real talent though? Yeah, but my my point being is then then you got to get into them. Like I, here's what I've always said, Bill. My my philosophy has always been about an organization. Yeah. If you have an owner, and he has like a president, and let's let's say Boston, and say the ownership says to Boston to Danny Ainge, you know, you're running our franchise, and we're going to give you the right to hire our coach. Which they did. Which they did. Yeah. 
and Danny's tremendous. So, but here's what happens when things start going. It's not like you outlive him. You you guys get in a room and you go back and figure this out. Let, 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 let's go figure this out because the easy thing is to do is get somebody else. And then you get somebody's with a different philosophy, and now you've got these different thing, changes. So my thing is. President and coach, attach them at the hip. You guys are together. Go back Didn't in that you room. Tell me once you thought that if if the GM or whatever hires the coach, it should be a package deal. That's and right. It's like if you get rid of this guy before the end of the contract, you go too. I, that's my feeling. Yeah. Because therefore, you'd find a way to make it work, and you'd figure out a way to really hire the person you. Then, and then you, you know, like sure. don't tell me that was your guy eighteen months ago, and he's not now. I mean, you know. Well, what made you stop coaching? Because you, uh, had, you had a really nice run there in yeah. the 2012 playoffs. 2013 yeah. well, was unhappy. Well, you know, what, uh, what ended up happening was, you know, we made a trade. Right. And and it didn't work. Yeah. And so what ended up happening. But that you know, trade didn't have to end your coaching career. But you know what? I, I, I sort of got a sense what that they were going to rebuild. They, they were in a position, you know, Josh Harris, who's the owner, I, I think the world of. And Josh and I had a great relationship. And as the season was was ending, I went to Josh and I said, Josh, I don't think I'm going to be the right coach for you moving forward. And he, you know, you know, why or whatever. And I said, um, because I, I think you're going to you're going to you're going to you got one or two ways you can go. Yeah. You know, you can either try to keep pieces together and go here or whatever and start and go over. I'm 63 years old. I yeah. can't. I can't lose 60 games. You know, You're 63 years old, but you got the energy of like a 30-year-old I, I coach. I do. I do. Um, I love the game. I love to teach. You do drink a lot of coffee. And I just want just one little, uh, one little latte to start the day. Um, I don't think anybody loves to teach more than I do. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I love that aspect of it, teaching, watching young players grow. And, and I'm proud of what we did there in Philadelphia. I played there. Yeah. And... and, and um, so I, that was it. It had to be Philly was your last stop. Yeah. There's no other yeah. way you Now, here's, here's what I've always said. If there were a young coach out there or a coach who was taking a job and said, would you come in and sort of be my... The conciliary. You know, just, you know, be my Dick Carter or be my Johnny you know, Bach, Johnny Bach yeah. or whatever, where you don't have to fight the battles. You go in, you teach, you become a little bit of a voice of wisdom. Hey, been there, done that. Let's think about this. Let's think about what we want to do here. Don't have the media responsibilities. Don't have to deal with the discipline that you can do what you love to do. I, I would think about that. It's the thing I love to do. Well, it seems like you had really complicated, intense relationships with your players. Like even the guys from Philly where I'd read like, you know, you and Evan Turner are battling. But then we're standing there in the Pacers playoff game and he walks up to our set after a game because he wants to like talk to you and like you still had a connection with him, yeah. even though you had all these battles. I think anytime you're trying to bring out the best in anybody, there's always going to be some creative tension. Yeah, I call it changing somebody's comfort zone. You know, I mean, you're a great writer. I want you to win Emmys. Yeah, yeah. like how can I help you? Or whatever the what it would be. What what's the, what's the highest literary Pulitzer? Like uh, whatever. I don't I don't think I'll win a Pulitzer. But I'm just saying, like, no, if I I, like, like, and I've told you this. Keep pushing. I, I've told you this, and and I and I think you're one of the most brilliant writers I've ever been around. And if I were with Thanks, you, coach. if I were with you, I go like Bill. Let's 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 be the best. Let let's let's find a way every day to be be the best. You know, let's let's find a way to do that. And I, I think if you look at it, most every place I've been, the younger players all got better. Yeah. I mean, in Philadelphia, I'm proud to say, um, you know, Drew Holiday became an all star. Andre Godala became an all-star. If you go back my second year. Thad Young made some money. Thaddeus Thaddy Young did. You know, Thaddeus Young was sixth in the sixth man of the year. Lou Williams was second. Yeah. Um, Jody Meeks became a player. Um, we had a lot of guys, you know, I thought Spencer Hawes really grew, really grew as a player. I thought Elton Brand, that we, we, we revitalized his career. Your players all got paid. Yeah. They all went well, that, and that, made that's, more money. That's my job. My job as a coach was to try to win. And try to put the players in a position where they could make the most money. You know, that's that was my job. And uh, as I said before, you know, you know me, Bill, well enough to know it's like sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sometimes, you know, you know. I mean, I I, I would mean, say you carry it around twenty four hours a day. I do, I do, because I care. Yeah. And and you know what? I would rather care too much than not enough. And uh, that's sort of the way I live my life. I I love and I care. 
Well, one of the biggest raps you had as a coach, which I actually believed just from afar before I got to know you, was that it's like, yeah, for three years it's great. He'll make you better. And then it flames out. Well, He's let me ask you a question. He's okay. too passionate. All right. Look at the end of my Chicago third third year. What happened my third year in Chicago? We you, made, you made the conference finals. We made the seven. huge trade to get Bill Cartwright. Yeah. That changed the team, right? Okay. My third year in Detroit, we had won 54 the year before. That what that we knew, I knew that team. Terry Mills had a bad knee. You know, Otis Thorpe. I knew we needed to trade, make a trade, get something for him. He was getting older, um, so we were twelve men. I got us twelve million under the cap. We signed Bison Delay or whatever. And so my third year, he's a chapter in your book. Okay, so now go to Washington. The third year there, they they tell Michael they don't want him back. And so I was part of Michael. Yeah. And my third year in Philly, we made the trade for Bynum. Right. So each time there is a reason. So so sometimes people should do their homework rather than just look at the year and say, what were the dynamics involved with that? But I've always said, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Well, the only one that that was strange was the uh, Chicago. One. Yeah. But you know what? Just because you, you basically – you were in the movie for the first hour yeah. of the movie, but then when they were about to rescue the burning building, you weren't there in the movie anymore. And, and you know, the interesting part about that is uh, Jerry Reinsdorf today is one of my best friends. Yeah. And, um, and, and a man who I can count on in, in a lot of different ways who's been great to me. And he made the right move. I mean, he hired a guy that won six championships. I mean, you the, must not have felt that way at the time. Though. Well, no, you never feel that way. Yeah. Bill, it was the first time I was ever told I wasn't wanted. Yeah. Maybe so what ever. happened? Like, what was the next week like for you? Oh, it was terrible. You lost Michael Jordan, who you knew was going to end up winning rings with somebody. You at know some what? Point. I I lost him as a player. Yeah. But I never lost Michael Jordan right. because I think if you saw that, he asked me to come be his coach in Washington. Right. You know, so I've always say, you know, just give let, let time. Time always is the answer to all questions. Unfortunately, we're instant gratification, quick fix. Now we want it right now. And you just got to let, let time play it out. So would you have made a decision, like you look back now, is there a decision you wish you had made as a coach that would have been a better, more stable, long-term situation? No. I Nothing. love every place I've been. Yeah? Every place I've been. You know, it's uh, in Chicago. I mean, I mean, I got hired in Chicago basically because Jerry Krause uh, listened to me broadcasting games and loved my basketball mind. And I went in there at 36 years old, never being a coach. You know, so I went to Detroit. You never coached anything? Well, I'd been an assistant at Arizona State. Okay. Actually, I coached Byron Scott. Really? Yeah, Byron's my guy. Yeah. I, and I coached at uh, as a graduate, as a volunteer assistant at Penn uh, when I blew up my leg and I couldn't play anymore. Uh, I went back to college and I got my degree and I went to Penn and uh, helped their program. So all of a sudden you're coaching Michael Jordan. Right. You know, and so in and, and Chicago, I mean, I think you know the story. Like when I was drafted in 1973, I was traded to Chicago for Bobby Weiss and Clifford Ray. And I was going to go to Chicago, and they were going to groom me to take over for That's Jerry Sloan. terrible trade for Philly. But they were going to groom me to take over for Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan grew up in McLeansburg, Illinois. Yeah. I grew up in Benton, 23 miles apart. So Jerry was a guy that I always admired and respected. So it was him and Van Leer. They were getting older. I was going to come in, and Clifford Ray flunked his physical, so the trade was next. So I stayed in Philadelphia. You know, So it's it's interesting. You know, you, you look at things in your life, Bill, and you go like, if I said to you, Bill, what was that one day where you could have gone here and you ended up going yeah, here? fork in the road. Everybody's got one, don't yeah. they? Well, everybody's probably got like three or four, right? right? But, I mean, for me, my yeah. career-wise, I mean, I mean, at that point in time – Gosh, could I play for the Bulls? I mean, it's 100 miles from where I went to school at Illinois State. It's Much all... better teammates. Yeah. I mean, just it was – I mean, well, Philly was 9-73. and 73. Yeah. But you – that Chicago team was good. Like, yeah. They, they yeah, had yeah. a couple I mean, title yeah, runs. Yeah. I mean, Chet Walker and Bob Love and you know, Tom Borwinkle and yeah. Norm Van – yeah. I mean, they were really, really good. So – but it always works out. You know, I went to Philadelphia. I became a man. You know, both of my children were, were born there. And Philadelphia ended up spending – 13 years of my life there, nine playing, playing, and, and, and I broadcast for a year and then going back to coach. My daughter, you know, lives outside Westchester. I've got three grandchildren that they're outside Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a, it's a very important place to me. And you got to play for a team that really missed its calling with the Internet. 
Oh my goodness! Those late seventies Sixers, oh, the internet, oh. Dawkins with, oh, the, with the dunks, oh my goodness, oh yeah, Jelly Bean Joe Bryant, yeah. World Be Free, World changing Free. his name, yes. Oh my god! We had quite the quite the group. We, I brought in one time. I brought in to work. I brought that sport magazine piece. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with the Sixers? It's like ten pages of dysfunction. <laughs> Unbelievable! Oh. People just killing the coach. Oh, that was insane. Yeah, what an era. Well, you know, think about that locker room. All right, think about that locker room now. Okay, so it was me, Henry Bibby, who, who Dawkins who, told a story about him. <laughs> Dawkins who, but, confirmed but who's your got, story. Who's got Mike? Okay. Yeah. Mike Dunleavy was on that team. Oh. Mike Dunleavy Jr. Yeah. You've got uh, uh, Joe Bryant, Kobe, Harvey Catchings with uh, uh, Tamika, one of the great players. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think. But a lot of legacies. Had, Julius Irving had the tennis player daughter. Yeah. Uh, Alexandra Stevenson, yeah. who went to Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was a, a, a lot of guys whose children went on. And either Did played we say in, Joe Bryant Kobe? Yeah, Joe Bryant yeah, yeah. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe actually was born the same year as my daughter. So Pam, uh, his mother, and, and my wife were, were pregnant at the same time. I had Dawkins on the podcast, and we were going for 50 minutes. I was like, <laughs> I got to ask him about Henry Bibby because you told a couple of stories. I was like, you know Henry Bibby? And he just went right into it. Uh-huh. He's like, Henry Bibby could get a girl <laughs> in a phone booth. <laughs> I tell you, is, a 30 for 30 on Henry Bibby. Is there a is – there, is there – more kind-hearted guy than Daryl Dawkins. No, no, he was. You know, I mean, he, he Daryl, had he gotten into the right situation, could have really been a tremendous NBA player. The problem is when he came to us, we had George, we had Doc, we had Steve Mix, we had Harvey Catchings, we had Caldwell Jones, and You're trying to win titles. And it wasn't if Daryl had been in a more structured situation. He was talented. I mean, Bill, that kid, 6'11", 270 pounds. I mean, he could shoot the ball. He could run. He could jump. I mean, he had personality. Can Plus you imagine era. if you were playing today with his personality, what he would be like on the Internet? He missed his calling. Well, plus that era that he came into probably wasn't the greatest era for a 19-year-old kid who suddenly had a lot of money. Yeah, the late and, 70s. and, you know, Daryl and I had the same agent at the time, Herb Rudoy, so – you know, Daryl was was like a, was a, a little brother to me. You know, I yeah. tried to put put my arms around him, and it was really funny because he loved Chris. Chris at that time was about two, three, four years old or whatever. My son, yeah. And Daryl would come to the house. Sometimes he would stay with us. Come over, we feed him. He would stay with us or whatever. Daryl had this Lincoln Continental or Cadillac. I forget whatever he'd put. He'd take pinstriped it or whatever, and he used to put Chris in the back seat, put him on the armrest. Put him with those, one of those gangster hats on or whatever, and Daryl would be driving around the neighborhood, leaning. Chris would be in the back seat, like <laughs> leaning, like like he was being chauffeured around and stuff. It was it was it was good times. I always said to you last year that your book would be unbelievable, but you'd never write it. I can't. There's so many good stories. Yeah, dirt. Smells. I always knew it was good when you would look around and see who was in the room or come around the corner. Yeah, you'd be like, God, I got a story about this guy. <laughs> I just uh, I just got too much respect, man. You know, I just I just really but your, do. your career. I'm going to say if you go back to to Olympic team, let's start there. Seventy two. Yeah. So you go through the Phillies 40 years. Mm-hmm. But somehow you hit almost every major character yeah. of those 40 years in the league, like Jordan, Dr. Well, J. You had you coached against Bird. You had a couple of things like just going down the line. Yeah. It was basically everybody. Well, Kobe, you know, when and also the games you announced, Shaq, yeah. you were at some of the great games, you know, in well, the history you know, of the I league. think about this, Bill. In 1968, I was six feet tall and I weighed 135 pounds, and I did not start for my high school team. Yep, and grew to be about six two and a half, 155 pounds my senior year. Um, averaged about 25, 26 a game my senior year, and went to Illinois State. I got the first full ride basketball scholarship ever at Illinois State. When I went there. They weren't Division One yet. They were playing in a league with like Evansville, Kentucky, Wesley, and Illinois State. Those really small colleges or whatever. Mostly black, right? The yeah, teams. yeah. And yeah. so, I I uh, went to Illinois State after my freshman year there. Our coach got multiple sclerosis, and they hired Will Robinson. Milt Weisbecker was the AD. He hired Will Robinson out of Detroit, who was 61 years old. He coached in the Detroit Public League for Alleged. 30 years. Spencer Haywood, Mel Daniels, I mean, the great, greatest of all player, uh, players he's coached. He came in to Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, a predominantly white community, 
and we wrote a love story. I mean, I yeah. was I was a white all American black coach, first black coach, and it's pretty neat, uh, Bill. I always tell people leave your mark, and I, and I'm not saying this in any way to to try to brag or whatever. But I I went to Illinois State. We became Division One. Played for the first black coach in Division One basketball, basketball Olympian. Had my number retired there. There's a statue of Coach Robinson and I out in front of the arena, and the court is Doug Collins' court. You know, so I, I mean, I always tell young people, wherever you go, leave your mark. What does your main? What does your name mean? What does it stand for? What is? And and so, that that's where it all started for me. And uh, but going to Philly and playing playing in the Olympics, playing in all-star games. I coached in all-star games, broadcast the all-star games. I broadcast four Olympics. Uh, my son has been a part of two Olympics uh, in a basketball hall of fame as a broadcaster. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, 45 years, I would have taken 45 minutes. And that's why I get so upset, you know, when people disrespect the game or, or the players that are in it. What I, I know how hard it is. I know, I know the game has given me everything. It's actually given me the highest of highs. It's broken my heart like nothing ever. Yeah. And I always kept coming back for more. Like I just love. I just. I, I want more. I love it. Well, and then you got cheated out of. Yeah. You made the the greatest free throws of all time. Yeah. You know. I, I have um, them ranked well above Orlando Blackman's free throws <laughs> in the '87 All Star game. <laughs> Thank you. I Those were good though. The I, Orlando they, Blackman they, ones were underrated. Yes, they were. But uh, you get undercut yeah. and just annihilated by a Russian player. Got knocked Actually, out. Actually, an amazing steal first. Yeah, but got then, a steal. And, uh, and that guy, that would have been like a 50-game flavor yeah, that would have, yeah, he would have been out for three years out of the Olympics. And yeah. Stuff. But I saw him. I was, I was driving down the left side of the floor. I knew the clock was winding down. And so I, I took off, and I saw him coming underneath me. And so I just I laid out at the rim, and he, and he flipped me, and I landed. I skidded. I hit my head on the basket. And you were out. I was out for a little bit. I was out. No concussion rules in that. No, no concussion rules. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still suffering from it today, Coach. But uh, um, had a little mouse under my eye. I'd fallen on my wrist. And if you watch the tape, I'm sort of messing with my wrist. Gotta, but I, I always say the power of a coach's words. I think I've told you this story before. But um, getting ready to go to the line or whatever. And Coach Iba and Johnny Bach and Don Haskins. Are, are huddled. And you're waking up and trying I'm to figure trying, out what and happened. My teammates are around me or whatever. Three seconds to go. We're down one. And um, uh, one of the assistant coaches, either Coach Haskins or Coach Bach, goes, uh, we got to get somebody to shoot these free throws. And I'll never forget Coach Iba, man. I love, I love, I love Coach Iba. He, he said, if Doug can walk, he's shooting him. And, I mean, I can't let him down. I can't let the guy down. And he sank him. I did. And then they I stole did. the game from I you. I did. But you know what? A kicker on top of that story, in, in 2000, uh, 2008, um, Coach K asked me to speak to the team before they went to Beijing, he and, and uh, Jerry Colangelo. And so I, I went to Vegas. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Bill, you have those moments where you just connect. Yeah. And, I mean, I've spoken to NBA teams lots in my lifetime, but I had this you know, LeBron and, and Kobe and just, uh, you know, all these great, great players. And at that point, we hadn't won in 2004 Correct. and trying to get the mojo back. And so Coach K put uh, the video on of me making the free throws. And then he didn't show the last part of it. And so he, he said, I want Doug to speak to you. So I got up and I spoke from my heart about what the Olympics mean to me. Yeah. What the journey they're getting ready to go on and shared my heart with them. And I remember I held up a newspaper, and it was Kobe saying an Olympic gold medal would mean more to him than a world championship. And I remember I looked out to him, and I had these tears. I said, guys, if you all feel like this in this room, there's no way we can lose because we have the best players yeah. and we have the best coaches. The only way we can lose is if they want it more than we do. And so, we, and so before every game... The players... Because you were announcing. I was announcing. Uh, Mike Breen yeah. and I were announcing. And so before every game, they'd always look over to me like, you know, you're, you're part of this. And so they won, beat Spain. Kobe had an incredible finish. Remember the last three or four... Everybody I mean, got we scared in I mean, that we game were in trouble. Kobe. We yeah. were in trouble. And Kobe put his hand like 11 points. Up. That was he, a real moment. Yeah, that was a real basketball moment. He made a big moment. three, and yeah. Kobe came out of that timeout and hit that little runner to put us up four or whatever. But... 
horn sounded. LeBron jumped over the scores table. I started my headset on. I got a picture of my house, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, you know, you're a part of this. We want you to feel a part of this. So wow. uh, they got their medals. They brought me out on the floor. They put their medals around me, and, and they took a picture of me with the gold medal. So now in in 2009, uh, I went into the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Kurt Gowdy Award for Broadcasting. Yeah. And that night afterwards, um, we were having a little dinner with my family. We had about 20 family members or whatever. So I just gotten into the wing of the Hall of Fame. Now, that's not the Players Hall of Fame. It's not, it's not as big as being a Hall of Fame player, but it, it's important to me. I'm in Hall of Fame. I think so. it counts. Um, so I see my son, Chris, uh, and he's fid- fidgeting around, and, and, and he, he stands up. And it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful moments I've ever had with my son. And he reaches in, and he pulls out the gold medal, and he walks over, and he puts it on my neck. And he said, 39 years too late, Dad, but you finally got your gold medal. He gave it to you. He gave it to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I have it hanging in my house. And then he got one in 2012. So he's got one in his house. And I said, when I die, you can have this one back. It's a great story. Yeah. We always talked about our kids and stuff. Yeah. I think you're the proudest dad of yeah. all the dads I've met. Because it's the greatest. We there was one. We were doing one show, and I think we had to go on, but Northwestern was in we're the second Purdue. half. We were playing Purdue. And you, no, you didn't want to know what was going on, but I was looking at my iPhone, <laughs> and you knew I was looking at your iPhone, and then you were like, What's going? What score? What score? And then, then all of a sudden, well, I was narrating the game for you, and you were freaking out. Well, you know, when I when I'm not at the arena, I mean, I, I can't watch. I mean, I can't watch the games. I mean, I just pace, and I and people like you know why? And it's because <laughs> that's my son. I can't do anything about it. I mean, I I mean, yeah. we we played Iowa the other day. You couldn't have been like his bench coach. You wouldn't have been able to handle. Uh, oh no, no. But well, you know what? If you're involved, it's different. You know, you're making decisions. But when you're sitting up there, so we're playing Iowa the other day. And, uh, I mean, we'd lost 10 straight. We'd had five heartbreaking losses in a row. And so, you know, this kid throws in a three from Iowa with, like, two seconds to go to send the game into overtime. Right. And I just – I get up, and I, I just run up those stairs, and I'm just I'm just pacing. Well, Lord, don't, don't make – these kids can't go through another heartbreaking loss. Please, please, please. Yeah. And we came down the stretch, and you know, I mean, they were shooting free throws, and I couldn't, I couldn't watch. Well, I mean, it just blew up on the internet, like you know, just me watching the end of Chris's game and things like that. I, I don't think people realize, and you do. You watch your little girl play soccer. I mean, and there's nothing you. I mean, that's that's your love, man. And so when Chris won that game, it's like it was like incredible. It was incredible. But I live and die every second. I do. I'm in a great run right now because I know I have nine years minimum of watching my daughter play whatever she's going to play because yeah. she's good. And there's nothing more fun than watching not, I kids told play you that. sports. You remember, told me that Remember last I told year. you that? We were watching. We were sitting around one day or whatever. And I said, Bill, do me a favor. When you go watch your daughter play, you put your iPad away. And you yeah. put your phone away. And you let her know at that moment there's nothing else on your mind other than watch her play soccer. I remember I reprimanded you a little bit that day. I said, put that thing away. I didn't tell you that I did this, but, you know, the Super Bowl, my favorite team, the Patriots was in it. But my daughter's team advanced to the finals eight of the state cup. Skip the Super Bowl. But you know what? Can I tell you something? There's an old way. 100% worth it. Remember Dwayne Thomas? Remember Dwayne Thomas, the running back for the uh, Dallas Cowboys? He was sort of the early day Marshawn Lynch. Yes, and he wouldn't talk to the media. And back then, I don't think they had the fines. Well, he won the Super Bowl, and he was the MVP. And after the game, they were interviewing him, and they said, how does it feel to win the ultimate game? And he said, if it's the ultimate game, why are they playing it again next year? It's a great one. And so you're going to be able to watch the Patriots play again. That's that. That was my philosophy. You can't get that time back. Can't get time can't back. Get, and I also wouldn't have enjoyed the game because I would have wanted to be with my you, daughter. You, you know, and and you, and you also sent a message to your daughter. There's no one more important than her. Right. 
I mean, and it's just it's, well, the other stuff that's great about it is just the time you get when you're driving around in these oh, games. Man. You know that more than anyone. Oh. Like, and that's the, that's the best time. It's the drives. It's the staying in the crappy hotels. Like that's the stuff that that I'm gonna remember. Well, you know, the I used to always love to to uh, drive around with my kids before they got their drives license and stuff, and and they'd have their buddies in the car. Kelly would either have her girlfriends, and you could really sort of find out what's going on just by driving and listening. Yeah, to yeah, what, yeah. What, you know, it's like, conversation. Yeah, I could sort of figure out what's going on here. Get yeah. them trapped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now you have the grandkids. That, yeah, uh, man. Yeah, you, five you, of them. You encouraged at least one of your children to to have children with really good athletes. Yeah, yeah. That was smart. Good decision. Yeah, and I was. Uh, I think I told you this, but my two grandsons out in Philadelphia, one is going to be eight in June, and the other one just turned six. They're both already uh, junior black belts in karate. <laughs> Uh, you know, wow. it, it's something I got them involved in as a yeah. young age because I just I like the discipline of the, of the sport. And uh, it was neat the other day. My my grandson, Ryan, hit a hit a three at the buzzer to win his little uh, his little uh, traveling little league you game or whatever. And it's, you know, you just sit there and you smile. You just uh, Bill, I can't believe it. I'm 63 years old. How many just, grandkids you got? I have five. I have five. And I can't I can't believe where the time is gone. I just can't. You know, um. I thought maybe you got them involved with karate because you needed it during the Dawkins ah! Lucas the Dawkins Lucas fight. That wouldn't have helped me against Dawkins. I wouldn't need to. Collins came over. What was he going to do? Well, it was sort of interesting how that sort of came down. You were the only one who got hit. Well, here's how it sort of came down. It was it was the prelude to to Daryl and and and, yeah. and and Maurice squaring off because you know we had gone we we were. Playing really well. It was game two. We were finishing up. You had two nothing finals lead. Yeah, we actually we ended up winning the game by twenty five that night. But uh, it was a loose ball, and Daryl and uh, Bobby Gross were wrestling over the ball. Yeah, and so Daryl sort of flipped him. Well, when he did, there was a whatever, and Daryl swung. I still got the scar, or whatever, where Daryl swung and he hit me, and I ended up with, with the eight stitches. Yeah. You're the only one that got hit. I'm, I'm, well, actually, Lucas hit Dawkins from behind with a well, elbow. And, and then they square, and that's that really was was a, a moment that really our team we didn't have the fiber to play through that, Bill, because I think Daryl felt like his teammates let him down. I got him to admit that he barricaded you all I, out I of the locker room. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, I didn't think he'd admit it, but he admitted it. Yeah, he said yeah. I don't want to see anybody. I destroyed the toilets, and we we. I mean, it was it was. One of those moments where they came together and we pulled apart. And uh, But that's – I mean, we see that in the NBA mm-hmm, every year. Mm-hmm. And he, I felt like uh, the 2013 Heat, the game – You were you at that game? You weren't at that game because you were coaching. The game six when Rayon hit the shot. Yeah, well, no, we were doing the game together. No, they, you weren't on countdown yet. I wasn't, no, maybe I wasn't, I guess. But uh, that yeah, – yeah. I feel like if – No, I was. You're right, you're right, yeah. If San Antonio gets a rebound – Maybe that Miami team splinters after that game, you know. And, and you on, the, and on know. the flip side of that, had the Spurs won that game, maybe they don't win. They the next win, year. they don't win the next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you just never know, you know, how driven were the Spurs last year. And it's it's sort of interesting. I uh, read something the other day where the Spurs were just talking about what they're going through this year and how they haven't been playing as well or whatever. And Danny Green had a had a quote, and he said, you know, we're just not having as much fun. Sounds like Miami the last two years. Exactly. Yeah. Remember when it all came down at the end and he said, man, it just wasn't fun. I meant to tell that to you, actually. When I had Bosch on the, on the BS Sport All-Star Weekend, we talked about his decision to not sign with Houston and to stay in Miami for more money, but also because he was just worn out from four finals. And yeah. it's like, I don't know if I want to be in that. Yeah. I call it the fishbowl. I don't know if I want yeah. to be in that fishbowl. For another year, like I've been there, I've done it. I'm happy in Miami. My family likes it there. Yes. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. But I don't need the fishbowl. Well, you know, that was an interesting way to put it. I remember we played Miami my first year in Philadelphia, in the first round of the playoffs, and we had a practice and we had media availability. Well, I did my media availability, and oh my gosh, it was like I can't tell you how many. (laughs) It must have been 200 people. I think there were like four or five ESPN.com writers that followed that team. Yeah, with the heat index. Like every yeah. – I mean every one of them wrote about something different. And I remember I, I saw Eric Spolster as I was leaving. I went over and gave Eric a hug. He said, man, I said, man, I don't know how you deal with that kind of scrutiny every single moment. 
Uh, I mean, every little. Well, word. I thought he was pretty overwhelmed the first couple uh, months. I'm and sure we saw he the was. same thing with David Blatt. Yeah, I'm there sure was, he was a stretch with David Blatt in like December where it looked like he might be kind of folding from everything. You could just see it in his face. He was just. But now he's back. Now he looks fine. But, but Bill, you know, you and I think we spoke about this. I, I said his biggest challenge is not going to be the coaching. Yeah. It's going to be managing everything else, the media scrutiny, you know, any little thing that happens between a player and a coach. I mean, remember how Le- LeBron supposedly had bumped Spolstra? Yeah. Well, now it was, remember, he grabbed. He, he pushed so, so he didn't get yeah. attacked, whatever. Every little thing is parsed. But I always said that the moment LeBron was right, everything was going to be okay with that team because everybody else was going to follow. But that old thing, what, a rising tide lifts all ships? And you see, Kyrie Irving didn't have to change his game. Kyrie Irving is a brilliant guy. You know what it reminds me of? Kyrie reminds me of when he's on the floor with LeBron, he reminds me of when Joe Dumars played with Isaiah, is that he played off the ball, and then when Isaiah would go sit down, he would go to point guard, and they'd bring Vinny Johnson in. He's a combo guard. He doesn't have to be a pure point guard. I was not a believer simply because I needed to see a, a team win with him for four weeks. I just I thought he was, you know, he's not the point guard that we grew up with. Yes. He's not the guy who's like yes. going into a game thinking I got to set up this guy and that guy and get this guy going. He's he wants to score. I wanted to see if that worked, and now we're seeing it works. LeBron's the creator. Yes, they use Kyrie almost like they used Wade in like 2011, where it's just like you know, and then do your thing. Right. And Kyrie's just worried about himself, and it actually works. And he's so talented. Oh, he's so, I mean, he's, So I'm on the bandwagon. It I took mean, me a while. He's, he's so good. And, and, uh, and little pieces that they've added. You know, so much of winning a championship, Bill, is can you think you, do you think you can? And I thought it was interesting, after Cleveland has made these changes, they talk about how we now think we have a team that can win it all. Like in their mind, they yeah. think that, you know, now with Moscow, now with Shumpert, now with J.R. Smith. Moscow was going to be in it. I, I didn't see that at all. I obviously didn't watch enough Denver games. But just, you know, sometimes you get to the right spot and, and it clicks for you. And they're, You notice their bench now? Yeah. Their bench is doing the standing up, like yeah. jumping out in the That's court my thing. Point. Like yeah. That was not happening in November. I mean, you see the joy. And, yeah. and basketball is a game of joy. Bill, it's a game of joy. It's a game of energy. It's a game of fun. It's a connecting game. It's, you know, can I make a pass to you and you make that pass? And we're connected. I used to do that all the time as a coach, like after games, like the next day. If I watched some tape, I said, we're going to show 10 connecting plays mm. of, of, a, of the connection that we had last night with one another. And I learned that from Coach K. It's like it's a game of connection. And when you're connected, when you got the best player, it's going to be tough to beat you. They're probably the favorite now. I, they, I, I mean, I, the, the West is going to be so interesting to me to see how it all ends because, you know, Steve Kerr has done such a magnificent job uh, this year at Golden State. But the clock really didn't start way, ticking. Neither, neither of us were surprised. No, because yeah. Steve is smart. I mean, and look at the people. Well-schooled. Look at the people he has with him. He's with yeah. Pop. He was with Phil. He had all the TV background. Gets it. He's a champion. I mean, people don't realize what that young guy went through when he was uh, uh, going to dad. college. Yeah. I mean, his dad, his dad gets assassinated. I mean, he gets taunted at a game at Arizona State. I always say with Steve Kerr, don't let that little boyish smile fool you. That guy is as big a competitor as anybody in the league, but... It'll be interesting because the clock's not going to start ticking on them until the playoffs start. And that's that's when, you know, when the report cards start getting handed out. He picked your brain when he was deciding yeah. to go and stay the Knicks. He picked my brain a little bit, too. Just that, think that's you talk about the, fork the, in the road. Talk, yeah. talk about the fork in the road. What happens if Golden State had decided not to make that move? I mean, he would be coaching the Knicks with a 10-win team in New York City, 3,000 miles away from his family. Can you imagine? He'd be, co- he'd be coaching Langston Galloway. He would look right like now. he would look like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then they don't make the Clay Thompson trade. That also helped, right? I mean, it's, although neither of us thought Clay Thompson was going to be this good. I loved him in college. You know what? You know, I, I, I tell you, uh, he reminded me in college of Allen Houston because I, I hmm. being at Arizona State, I watched him a lot. He's a much better athlete. Than what you think because he doesn't waste motion. Yeah. You know, a- Alan Houston, when we tested in Detroit, I coached Alan and Grant. Uh, Arnie Kander, who was a master at, at, at creating different things for guys to train and all, we did some tests, and Alan Houston actually tested higher than Grant Hill. I don't think anybody would wow. ever would ever think that because Al- I said Alan was a sleepy player. He never played 
with that fire and energy and passion, but he but he had it. And right. uh, and Clay Thompson reminded me very much of, of Alan Houston when I saw him at Washington State. I have Golden State, Memphis, Cleveland, Atlanta, <clears throat> and Chicago would be my five teams. I'm not giving up on the Bulls. Here's the one thing I worry about the they, Bulls. Here's the one thing I worry about the Bulls. When they've lost Rose in the past, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the league. Their defense always carried them. Can they defend well enough now to be able to do the things they did when they lost Rose before? Well, before they had Noah at the top of his game. We haven't seen that this season. And also, a little subtly, Noah's playing as a four now defensively. Mm. And so when you get against stretch fours, when he plays Cleveland, he's playing Kevin Love out on the floor. He's not blowing up those pick and rolls. You know, when they had he and Taj Gibson out there together to close games, they'd switch pick and rolls at the end of clocks. They would trap it. You know, those guys, you know, Powell's a different kind of defender. You have to drop and plug on the pick and roll. He doesn't have that. Now, he's a better shot blocker yep. at the rim. He's doing this. The hands but, up. but you know, at the, at the end of the time, you know, when, when— So you don't love the Noah Gasol, potentially, as a combo? I, I don't mind them, but, but I always felt the biggest uh, thing was going to be for them— Last year, Carlos Boozer could score 30 points in the third quarter of a game, and we knew he was going to sit down Close the fourth quarter, yeah. and it was going to be uh, Gibson, and it was going to be Noah. Now it's night to night. Is it, is it Gibson and Noah? Is it Noah and, and Gasol? Is it Gibson and Powell? I and mean, all three of those guys think they should be out there, which and it, is the real it's problem. It's hard. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to get guys time like that. That's why I said, to me, it's going to be interesting with Golden State. You know, if there's one thing I'm going to watch is as the playoffs go on, hmm. Your bench starts getting less and less time, and and all of a sudden those guys now who are playing a lot of minutes or whatever, what happens if their minutes start shrinking? Because I'm telling you, Curry and Thompson, those guys are not going to play 32 minutes a game in the playoffs. Right. They're going to play 37 to 38 because you don't play back to back. You don't have the travel time or whatever. So now your bench starts shrinking. Remember what Pat Riley said? You know, you play nine, whatever. You throw out eight, and you trust seven. How the bench starts shrinking. Yep. And that's going to be interesting to me because you got David Lee on the bench. You got Mo Spates, who's played great. You got Sean Livingston. You got Iguodala. Iggy would be the one who would think he should be out there. Well, it'll just be interesting to see how, you know. That, that, that's that, why I like Memphis, though. Memphis knows who their best five is, and they know who their four bench guys is, and then the la- are in the last six minutes. I know who their five guys are, the, and they know it, and everybody knows who they are on that team. The only thing that worries me about Memphis is their lack of shooting. And, you know, they're a team that plays their game as well as anybody. But I think I did something about two weeks ago on our show, Bill. In their losses, they get beat by 18 points a game at the three-point line. And, and, and in their wins, I think they're, they, they're minus five. So, you know, to me, I mean, Jeff Green was a tremendous addition to that team. Can Vince Carter get healthy at all and, and, and give him a little shooting or whatever? It's the only thing I worry about with that team because they're a team that doesn't play a stretch four. They're going to play big against you. They're right. going to play big. Jeff Green at least allows them to have that chance he to does. do that. But I, it's the only, you know, it's like when I start looking at teams, you know, it's the one thing I say, what's what's that team? Well, you know, they're, they're three-point shooting. It's what worries me about Washington. You know, with the, you know, with I've their, checked out on Washington. But, but I mean, yeah. you know, it's what, it's what I, you know, even when they were playing well, it's what concerned me about them. Who's your third favorite Western team? Because for me, it's Golden State, Memphis. Golden State, drop Memphis. Uh, I need to see Durant healthy before I even um, consider Oklahoma City. I, I'm with you. If, if Durant is, is healthy, Oklahoma City's yes. in that mix. No question. And I want to see how Aflalo and G with Portland. Portland, remember last year, they, they had no games lost to injury. Right. I mean, I think in the, up you know, to All-Star break, last... I think the first 54 games of the year last year, they had the same starting lineup. I think they've had like 13 different starting lineups this yep. year. You know, so, you know, we, we love their starters. We love Lillard at the end of the games. We love what Lopez did to their team. And can Alonzo G give him another bigger wing? I mean, Batum was great last year. He struggled. He went off a cliff. So, you know, to me, Portland could have a puncher's chance if they're healthy and the trade helps them. But I, I just, to me, they're still not, not in that mix. All right. Well, we can see you on NBA Countdown. I miss you. My old show. I miss you as well. Thank you for your time. Come back before the playoffs. I, we'll I, keep texting. We'll keep talking. I, I will tell You're you my this. life coach. Um, I will tell you this. I, I love you as a friend. Thank you. I love you too, Coach. 
Uh, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Back of the BS Report next week. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.